0: Turn to 1 John, and speaking of family, for those of you who've had the privilege of meeting my in-laws, John and Peggy, you want to wave your hands, say hi. They are officially Georgians. They have moved here. So I'm going to embarrass them for a few minutes, and the reason that I'm going to... whoa the reason I'm going to talk about them a little bit is because in our text this morning it talks about the love that Jesus has manifested for us which is to be the love that we are to manifest for other people My daughter is now 20. My boys are 17. At Trinity's age, she is at the age where I started dating their daughter. And I was a wanderer. I was a sinner. I was dead in my sins. As I sit in the conversations that Julie and I have behind closed doors in regards to our children choose to date? I can only imagine the conversation that John and Peggy had about me. I asked their daughter to marry me after knowing her for three days. She's now been my wife for 21 years. Now, mom and dad, if your daughter or your son comes to you, and with that kind of news, what is your response going to be? Over my dead body. As John and Peggy sat in their wish list for the spouse for their daughter, I guarantee I failed to meet many of those check marks. The most important one, I wasn't saved. I had no relationship with Jesus Christ. As they loved their daughter and made the choice to love me, regardless of how uncomfortable and sacrificial that love was, they still made that choice. I was going to church with them and I remember having a specific conversation in their home. I'm pretty sure it was after church on a Sunday and I made the comment that I didn't believe that the entire Bible was true. And John didn't get in my face. He didn't condemn me. He just made the simple statement, well, I do. And again, they were encouraging to me. And rather than cutting me off... They're trying to walk alongside of their daughter and to make sure that their daughter has a godly husband. They send me to a uh, is it family life? I'm trying to blame it. Family. It was a family life marriage conference in Snowbird, Utah. And I've mentioned this multiple times. That's where I first heard the gospel and gave my life to the Lord. I've watched how they've walked alongside of me, how they've loved me sacrificially. Watched the how they've walked alongside of my kids as as they helped us as we're young parents and how they opened their home to us, how they opened their their hearts to us. I watched them leave Utah to go back to Texas to take care of their aging parents sacrificially. They had siblings in Texas. They didn't have to do that action, but they made the the sacrificial choice to love and honor their parents. And to take care of them as they aged and as each one of them slipped into eternity. I've watched that from afar, I've watched that up close. Who I am today has their fingerprints. And they've never told me to be like them, they've always encouraged me to have a relationship with Jesus. Lots of conversations. It's been an absolute blessing. I've uh, been, we moved to Utah. You guys moved there in 90? We moved there in 88. They moved there in 90. I was seventh grade. I think Julie was in sixth grade when they moved there. It's a very strange culture. You know, as far as I know, Julie is the first born-again Christian I have ever met. And I was 21 when I met her. Um, Sitting in our congregation there at the Calvary in Salt Lake to have my mom and dad To have my wife's parents To have my sister to have Julie's brother and his wife and kids to have your entire family Saved in that community was rare. I can't think of another family in our congregation Which was very large where that was the circumstance and then the fast forward in time where we leave to follow God's call and this is where the Lord lands us. My parents, through their own call and direction, the Lord landed them here a couple years later, which I've always praised God for. And I know that you do too, those of you who have a relationship with my parents, just how wonderful they really are. Now I get that blessing again of having my in-laws here. So this is a long example to set up where we're going to be in First John this morning in regards to his sacrificial love and the kind of love that he calls us to have for other people, specifically our brothers and sisters in the Lord. But I just I, I have that long-winded you know, explanation for them, and I'm just thankful that they made the choice to walk alongside of me, who was an enemy. I was an enemy of Christ, I was an enemy of theirs. I was an enemy of their daughters. Even though I was in love, I was also in lust. And they made the choice to sacrificially love me in obedience to God, so that I could be introduced to Jesus, not so that they could get some kind of religious notch on their belt. And as we sit in John's personality, this is who John is. He's the last apostle that's alive i'm sure that that generation who saw jesus in the flesh is fading into eternity and john's primary concern is he's he's pretty much a refugee out of israel after the romans had destroyed jerusalem we don't have specifics on on john's migration out of israel but we have there that testimony, the book of Acts, even that when persecution was coming in Jerusalem, that he was, as the apostles remained there in Jerusalem. So we don't know how long he stayed there. We don't know how he made his way to Ephesus, but he's as he's sitting in the community of Ephesus, as an immigrant, as a refugee, as an outsider, he's there with a foreign God for the culture. And his primary concern, you can see it, you can feel it in his writings, whether it's the gospel, his three letters as we sit in Revelation. John wants you to know Jesus. I've seen him. I've heard him. I've handled him. The word of life, that eternal life. This is who I have a relationship with. This is who I want you to have a relationship with. And this is who I want our relationship to be centered on. But as John is conveying this information multiple times, he is turned to, uh, last week I gave us this, uh, the idea of a gauge where we have a lot of tests in this letter where we can gauge where we are in our relationship with the Lord. And ultimately, John wants our joy to be full and he continues to bring up sin, that sin is something that, that hinders that relationship with God and it's something that hinders our relationship with other people. This morning, I want to bring up a different idea and a different way to look at it. And I want you to think about a mixing bowl for you who bake. Now, I don't bake. Anytime I've stepped into the kitchen and Julie is baking and I want to be a punk and kind of mess around in there, um, I need to follow her instructions. Because there's, there's a very specific recipe. And if you mess up the recipe, your end product is going to be messed up. So the imagery that I kind of want us to sit in this morning is just come alongside of Jesus in the kitchen. And this is where you have to stand outside of yourself a little bit. And we're sitting in this this mixing bowl. And what is being mixed is you. In this, the whole idea in our relationship with Jesus is that we, as we come to him in faith and belief, that he removes out of that mix sin. He removes out of that mixed darkness. John told us that God is light. So, that that imagery, God steps in as light. And I love the imagery of light because wherever you turn on a light, darkness flees. Darkness never overcomes light. So, this mixing bowl of our life is flooded with his life. And then the therefore statement is to walk in truth and not in lies. Lies are dark, there's something devious, there's something hidden. It's something that separates you from the Lord. It's something that separates you from other human beings. So as we walk our behaviors, those things that we do are to be flooded with his light. So, abiding in truth. Not only did John tell us he's writing these things so that our joy would be full, but he's writing these things so that we would not sin. But if we do sin, which we all do, that we have Jesus as an advocate, as a helper, He is our priest. He is the sacrifice. It's his blood that has cleansed us from all of our sins. We have a constant relationship with him to abide in that light and to remain in that light. That when we make mistakes, we come to him in agreement. I messed up. I'm confessing these things. And we're told that he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as we've traveled through this, he, he warns us in that mixing bowl that we're not to love God and love the world at the same time. You can't mix those things together. The product of that is going to end up being dark. So we have this exhortation from him, don't love the world. and gives some definitions on that but ultimately all that is of the world it's not of God all that is of the world it is fading it is passing away God is the one who remains and he and he threads through in this mixing bowl, these ideas of obedience, of truth, of light, of love, of abiding and remaining—these are all ingredients that they're not—they're they're not to be separate from one another in our lives. But these are things that He is adding to our life, and as He is walking alongside this imagery if, if Jesus is like the master baker, and we're there helping Him as a kid. What is He telling? He's providing us the ingredients. He's telling us what to put in at what time. So again, as we, as we walk with Jesus, he's telling us to add obedience to our life. He's telling us to add love to our life. He's telling us to remain in him, to remain in the light. All this different imagery is what's flowing through. So as we start this morning, we're gonna back up a little bit where we ended last week in verse 28 of chapter two, of 1 John. It says, Now little children, abide in him, remain in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence, boldness, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know, and this is the word that we want to pick up, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Sadden this briefly last week. Again, just this definition righteousness, it's he is the one who is righteous in his mind in his heart in his words in his actions he is right in all things everyone who practices righteousness is born of him so this word practices we're really studying our way through the book of acts and in the book of acts i've used this idea of workmanship so Uh, Acts gets its name from that same word, but it's called the Acts of the Apostles, that we're watching the actions of the apostles in uh, this letter that Luke is writing to Theophilus. But for me, this, this title is we're not watching the actions of men. We're watching God act in men's lives. And the same letter that Paul wrote to this this same community, this community of Ephesians, is the same community that John is writing to. But in that letter to Ephesians, Paul says, we are his workmanship. We've been created for good works. He's prepared all of these beforehand. All we are to do is walk in them. But this word here, practices, is that exact same word. We are his workmanship. He created us. He created us to bear his image. He has caused us to be born of him, to be fathered by him, to be born from above through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is where he starts saying, behold, look at the manner, the kind of love that God has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. But there's this idea of he who does, he who makes, he who practices, he who commits righteousness. All of these words we're going to see and how the translators translated these words. But ultimately, we're watching God's workmanship as he's creating us in this mixing bowl. He is in charge. He is the source of all the ingredients. He is the source of the timing that all of those ingredients get placed into our lives. Yet, he is looking at us like a child saying, now I want you to add the flour. Now I want you to add the salt. Now I want you to add the sugar. Now I want you to add. Now I want you to put it in the oven. So he's he's asking us to engage in that activity. That the works that we do, those things that we do, what we make of our lives and the influence that we have in other people's lives, it's His work. He's already created for us to walk these things out. So we're walking out this relationship with Him. So jump down to chapter 3, verse 4. Very long-winded introduction because I wanted all of this in your mind because verse 4 says, Whoever commits sin, whoever practices, whoever's workmanship is sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Uh, Let's keep reading this and then we'll back up. It says, and you know that he, Jesus, was manifested. He became a man for this purpose, to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Now, very bold declarative statements. But he said earlier, if you say, chapter 1, verse 10, if you say that you have not sinned, you're calling Jesus a liar and his word's not in you. So what's he saying? Again, everything revolves around this word for practice, for commit, for doing, making, the workmanship of your life. This is talking about when he says that whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. But if you abide in Jesus, it's impossible for you to sin. It's because being a believer, professing faith in him, you believe that his blood has cleansed you from all unrighteousness. He has removed all of that out of the mix of what you are, never to return again, and he has taken up residence in you and all of his glory and all of his light and all of his holiness and all the wonder that that means. And we sat in there at the beginning of chapter 3. What we are now, we're children of God, but what we're going to be when we stand face to face in his presence, it hasn't even entered into our mind yet, but oh boy... Does that hope have its purifying effect in us to keep the junk out of our mixing bowls? So the declaration that John is giving to each one of us is that truth. If you believe in Jesus as your Savior, you are in him. And in him there is no sin. Therefore, in you... There is no sin. Yet we all sit in that other dynamic of the other side of the practical life where we sin and we make mistakes, and we've already repetitiously covered that. That He's faithful and just, not only to forgive us and to remove all of that filth from us, but to keep us. And that is a joyous thought. That even when I feel dark, he in all of his light has never abandoned me and given up on me. So whoever, is, whoever sins, who's ever, whoever, um, this is the work of your life. And again, I can sit in my old man and recognize that workmanship. And I sit in the new creation of who he's made me and making me to be. I've seen him. I know him. I abide in him. I am no longer defined by my sin or the others, anybody else's sin. I'm no longer controlled by it. I am free. Little children... Verse 7, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins, he who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. Again, this is all Again, remember John is pointing you to Jesus, to have a relationship with. This is the purpose that the Son of God, that Jesus himself was manifested and revealed, that he might destroy the works of the devil in your life. He came to untie sins, bonds in your mind, in your soul. I had a call yesterday from a friend in Salt Lake who uh, struggled with pornography for years Picked it up, put it down, fought with it. And he called to give us the testimony of the freedom that God gave to him last September. He said that he wanted to wait because there's been so many times where he started and stopped in his life and continually sought freedom for, for, from God for this, but never had a, never had a hatred for it. But there was something that transformed in his life in a moment where he was loosed. That sin was untied from his mind and his heart. And yes, there's a process of cleansing. Yes, there's a process of reconciliation and restoration and and all of those things. But again, just sitting yesterday, the whole purpose that he reached out was just to say, just like John and Peggy have been an influence pointing me to Jesus, I was able to be an influence in his life, never hated him, never gave up on him, always encouraged him to pursue walking in righteousness with Jesus. And it took a long time, And he was one of those guys that, you know, I praise God that he didn't throw in the towel and give up the fight. Because had he have thrown in the towel and given up the fight, his marriage would be destroyed. He would have destroyed relationships with his kids. And now he gets to set in the testimony, Blake, here's the sin that Jesus untied me from. He unbound it from my mind And from my heart, I am his and he is mine. I am clean and I am kept. An awesome testimony. Because those sins in this world, it's of the devil, this opposer, this adversary, the purpose that Jesus came. It's to destroy, untie, to loose the works of the devil in our life. Whoever has been born of God, recreated, new, new mind, new heart, does not sin. Why? Jesus' seed remains in him, in you, in me. His DNA implanted and imparted to us. We cannot sin because we have been born of God. What an awesome declaration. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. This is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life defined earlier as Jesus himself abiding in him. Again, this is is one of those tests. This is one of those gauges that we can look at, one of those metrics. This is one of those ideas as we sit in this mixing bowl. Hatred for our brothers and sisters in Christ is something that does not belong in us. And it's something that Jesus removes from us. Hatred, jealousy, anger, all of those emotions that Cain abided in, which you can go to Genesis 4 and look at, these were things that were in his bowl. The mix of his mind, the mix in his heart, and led, those thoughts led to the slaughter of his brother. That heart, that man Cain, is not to be in us, rather love. In verse 16, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. Now, I want to disconnect something in our, in our thoughts really quick. So when Jesus lays down his life for us on the cross, that is not something that we can do. He is the one who laid down his life, and it's through his blood that human beings are saved. So as we are called to lay down our lives for others, even if that ultimately results in your physical death, your sacrifice and your death does not bring about the salvation of any human being. So we are not being called to that sacrifice that he sacrificed on the cross as though we have something to do with one another's salvation. That's why John, is all the weight is upon, I want you to know the one that I know. I want you to abide in the one that I abide in. This is the exhortation. Yet, as we sit in this, let's read through here and we can back up. By this we know love, because Jesus laid down his life for us. And remember life. I brought up before that's... He is the word of life. He is the eternal life. That's the Greek word zoe. Very, very specifically, he is the source of all that is life. When we are told uh, uh, that the pride of life is one of those desires that's, uh, you know, the product of the flesh, the product of the world. The word life there is bios. It's where we get biography from. It's discussing our manner of life, our lifestyle, our way of life. Here, when it says that he laid down his life for us, it's not that he laid down his eternal source of life because he was never separated from that life the death that he died was the in his His psyche is the word. His soul, as he sacrificed himself on this cross, he laid down his life. But not just on that day on the cross. We're told that he emptied himself to become man in the first place. And we can go sit in the Gospels, and you can watch Jesus in circumstance after circumstance because he loves the human beings that he's engaging with. Lay himself down sacrificially, for the benefit of another. Whoever has, and there's a direct correlation here, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, brother being defined as a sibling in God, and I would also extend that even to as just a sibling in humanity because we are called to love those who are on the outside also. You see your brother in need, And you close, literally you shut up your bowels. You close up your heart from him. How does the love of God abide in you? This is where I'm sitting in. uh, Just uh, that testimony of how my in-laws walked alongside of me. They didn't shut up their heart from me. But they poured out the love of God that abided in them for somebody who was outside of the life of Christ but was still an object of his love because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, so not just giving lip service, but indeed in work and in truth. Just because you do something that's good for somebody else doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Just because we speak something doesn't necessarily mean that the actions of our life are in agreement. And this is where he's talking about that practice, those things that we're doing, those things that we're committing. Not just in agreement, but in actual action, in deed and in truth in our lives. Verse 19, and by this... You know, these tests, by this we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him, persuade our hearts before him. If our hearts condemn us, literally, if our heart if you have personal knowledge against yourself, which we can all stand in the mirror, and our hearts and our minds can. Offer condemnation knowledge against God is greater than our hearts he knows all things he knows your thoughts he knows your words he knows your actions he knows your beginning he knows your end he knows his plans he knows what he is removing out of you and he knows what he desires to place in you and he's asking you to hold his hand and to place into your life the ingredients One at a time, this process of sanctification as He leads, as He guides. He knows all things. And when we stand in this position, object of love, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, you're free because you know who He is. You know that He's removed your sin. You know that it's because of His sacrifice, His blood. You know that you're in that position of repentance and confession. You know that you're abiding and loving and obeying. All these different ingredients. If your heart does not condemn you, you have great confidence towards God. It's literally you have outspokenness towards God. Anyway, I brought up last week too, it's that tendency where we all want to hide Um, When you're off in your relationship with God or with another human being, silence is often the result. You don't want to talk to them. You don't want to talk about it. Just we're all in agreement that that was wrong. Let's just move on. God is always inviting us into a conversation. And ultimately, the the conversation that he wants to have with us ultimately is to bring about that sense of freedom and light and being untied and being unbound so that you can just babble to your heart's content with your God. You can sit there and speak your gratitude and your praises and your wonder. You can speak to him about all of your inadequacies. And when you sit in all of your weaknesses, when you abide in him, his spirit is right there to remind you, that's right, you are weak, but you're in me, so therefore you're strong. So stand in me. Don't listen to the lies of the devil. Don't listen to the lies of the world. Don't listen to the lies of your old man and your own woman. Abide in me. Be Being outspoken. I love that. I love being able to chat away with God. Sometimes where it's just in... Head on the floor in tears, kind of moments, and other times where you're just yapping away freely um, because you're free in Him. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him a promise as we abide in Him because we keep His commandments. Again, a test, a result, a product of the ingredients. Not only do we keep his commandments, here's our word again. We do the workmanship, the activity of our lives. We do those things that are pleasing in his sight. We love those who we don't want to love. We love those who he's causing us to love that we're shocked that we're in love with them because of how much he's transformed our hearts and our lives. We do these things not out of guilt, not out of head trips, not out of uh, seeking to please other men and other women. So we get the kudos, but we just get the things that we get to do, just walking those things out that are pleasing in his sight. He's leading us to do do those things. Great acts of sacrifice. Small acts that seem so insignificant. Insignificant. But that he uses to bring about the product of his eternal life in others. This is his commandment, verse 23, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he gave us commandment. That's it. God's command, Old Testament and New Testament. Love me. Believe on me. Trust me. Be free in me. Receive my light. Know my love. Remain in me. Hope in me. Be bold and confident and outspoken in me. His command we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus the Christ. And as we believe, as all of that is put into the mix of our soul, of the spirit that he has given to us, revived within us, the eternal life that he has granted, he causes us to love one another. And this love that we demonstrate towards each other it always has a cost. But its cost is really so small and trivial and insignificant in comparison to the blessings that he sends our way. And it's not the stuff. It really is just knowing him. Verse 24, this is where we're end. Worship team, come on up. He who keeps, you hold on to, you guard, you cherish. His commandments abides in him. You remain in him. And he in him, and Jesus in you. By this, we know that he abides in us. By the spirit whom he has given us. And that's where we're going to pick up next week. Father, we want to give you great thanks and adoration and acknowledgement that you are the one who is precious. You are the one who is worthy. You are the one who is valuable. Again, as we sit in the context of our lives in this creation and we see everything, you are worth more. You are more precious than all that we desire, all that we think that we need. There you are to constantly remind us that all we need is you. Your life your light, your love, your submission, your obedience, your words, your victory, your cleansing, your purity, your holiness, your kindness, your compassion, your sacrifice, your provisions, your glory, your beauty, your majesty. All that I desire, I find the truth in you, the source in you. I'm thankful, Lord, for those that you used in my life, John and Peggy included, and many others that helped me to have the confidence to speak out to you that I believe in you. I believe that you are the God who created the heavens and the earth. I believe that you manifested yourself to humanity for the purpose of conquering sin, destroying the works of the devil in this world. I believe that you have given to me your life and your purity and your cleansing. I believe that I have been loosed and untied from all sins. I believe, Lord, that when I miss, that as I come to you in repentance and confession, you purify me and you cleanse me. I believe that you dwell in me and all of your power and all of your glory, Father, Son, and Spirit, that you are here helping me and teaching me and leading me. I believe that you have freed me from all works, Lord. There's nothing that I can do There's nothing that I can make. There's nothing that I can add to you. I simply get the precious privilege of loving you and loving those that you love. I give you thanks for every soul that is in this place. May they know the love that you have for them May they respond to your love towards you. And as you well up within them, Lord, your love, I'm asking that you would overwhelm them with your love, that your love would just come flowing out of each of us in sacrificial acts of love for one another that are in this room, that are in this place that you cause us to have relationships with. And the stranger, Lord, even on the side of the road, that we would be that good Samaritan who stops and who loves and who acts. In Jesus' name, amen.